Well, praise God, we're in our third message in our series, our victory series. And we started off that first week, Easter Sunday, started off with victory in life. Last week, we talked about victory in relationships. This week, we're going to talk about victory in work. And, and uh, you know, obviously, all of these messages flow into all those aspects of life. But to uh, center in that oftentimes our work can uh, somehow steal our victory, it can steal our joy, it can really take a lot of the life out of us, if you will. Uh, work has a way of doing that sometimes. And uh, just remember, um, Adam's the one that subjected us to the um, tilling of the soil to provide for ourselves. Amen. Uh, we may not be out there plowing, if you will, soil, but we're out there plowing something, right? We're working very hard to make a living for our families. And it's by the sweat of your brow and by that toil that you make a way for yourself in those physical things. And so um, work is a very, very real part of all of our lives. And if we're going to do it, we need to do it with the victory of God in our life. Amen. And so uh, this morning, as I start off, I want to read the scripture we're going to focus on because I think there's a, a real clear principle in this passage. We know Paul the Apostle spent his, his uh, life working for uh, if you will, he started out working for the synagogues, and then the next thing you know, he was working for the kingdom of God. He wasn't working uh, under the law. He shifted over to working under grace when he encountered Christ. But nonetheless, Paul's life's work was the ministry. And so whatever your life's work is, understand that the kingdom of God and the ministry that God's called you to is meant to be a part of that. Be it you're a nurse, a soldier, um, you know, a contractor, a construction worker, whatever it may be, stay home mom, there's a job for you, right? Too little pay and way too much work. Come on, moms in the house. But, but in that, I think Paul gives us some, some great insight to how we should approach the work of our life. In Philippians 4, 10 through 13, he says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere, in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul, this passage, Paul has given us a perspective of what it is to both um, be in a, a place of richness in life, a place where we have plenty, and then that place where we have need. But the greatest principle you can live by is to be content in your relationship with Christ, knowing that no matter what state you find yourself in physically, what situations or circumstances you find yourself in, you can actually be content because you know you have a God that is for you and not against you. You know that you have a God, as we, we've been learning through this series, who, who has called you, anointed you, and given you the victory through Christ to march in a triumphal, come on somebody, procession to declare his goodness and praise his name that is worthy. And it is through that that the manifestation of God's goodness comes. Is, is our right alignment we talked about. Putting ourselves under him. Putting ourselves into that place of acknowledging that if anything good is going to happen in my life, it's going to come from God. 
Now, obviously, we can look out there and see there's some people out there that don't love God that have some good things going on for them. How does that land when life ends if they don't get right with God? However good it seemed, we know that that good can be the deception for them that keeps them from actually coming to Christ. You know, it's often, really, many times in crisis that people turn to God. I talked about in in that first sermon, I talked about the up and outers and the down and outers. Do you know that there's people who have all kinds of money, they've got every possession, and they are miserable, they're empty, they don't have life. They've come to to the end of themselves. They might be able to sustain themselves through this life in some, uh, you know, in, in the needs, if you will, the everyday needs, but the reality is, is they're starving for life. That's why you see so many that will commit suicide and yet they've got everything this world has to offer and, and yet feel empty is because they've not learned to be content in their abounding. See, Paul was saying that he had abounded and he learned to be content, but he also was abased. He, he had little and he was also content. And so in this, if we could reflect, the Apostle Paul wrote this passage while he was in the Roman prison. Abased, somebody say abased. He was in a low place at that time. I mean, he's writing this letter about being content while he's in prison facing death. Anybody facing that kind of situation in life right now? See what I'm saying? But he was content in that situation. So I want to ask you today, are you a contented person? Do you find yourself being content in your work? Do you find yourself being content in your marriage? Do you find yourself being content in your finances? Do you find yourself being content with what you already own? Do you find yourself, if you will, being content with the people you work with? Sometimes that becomes the hardest thing about our jobs is we have to interact with people. Right? But if there weren't people there, there wouldn't be jobs. Sometimes we find one of the hardest things to do is to interact with our customers. Come on now. Right? The customer is always... But we all know the customer isn't necessarily always right. <laughs> but we do that because we want the customer's business. Now, here, here's what I would say. God doesn't approach things that way, does he? God wants you to inherit his kingdom. God wants you to have victory and to be a part of his kingdom and to have the life of Christ working in your life. But if you come to him, you must acknowledge him as he is. Come on now. That's why a lot of people say, well, I'm not buying. If i got to come and, and I have to submit myself and come under you, then I'm not buying. And that's what I'm saying about those who, who I'm going to enjoy this life and I'm going to do what I want. Eat, drink, and be merry. Come on now. But you're going to arrive at the end of this life, and what happens is, is you've got to pay the piper. Come on. It's a fact. We all know that to be true. And so uh, it works for us in life that that when we're working with our customers and we're working in, in our workplace with our fellow uh, employees or, or maybe we have people who work for us, you're a boss uh, or you're an employee, however that works, the, the key to having victory in your work is to invite Christ into your work. It's not like you leave him at home. It's like, well, I, I don't carry my Bible around at work. No, but you carry the word of God in you. And wherever you go, the kingdom of God goes. Come on now. And because of that, when you go to work, God goes with you at work. Now, if you're in school, your work is school. And when you go to school, your fellow students, those are the ones you're in class working with. And wherever you go, the word of God is meant to go because it dwells in you. 
And that is when you have victory in the workplace. More and more, of course, you know, you're not allowed to talk about faith in the workplace and you shouldn't share your faith in the workplace and it becomes that silencing of the gospel. Jesus said, go, right, and preach the gospel. The world will say, no, don't preach the gospel. But Jesus said, go and preach the gospel. He's telling us to go and preach that message of the good news of what he came into this earth to provide victory for all mankind. And yet the world wants us to silence ourselves. And when we're in that place of silencing ourselves, we lose the benefit of what comes when we proclaim the kingdom of God in the lives of other people. See, see, when we're about the Father's business, it's quite interesting how the Father's blessing just keeps pouring out and flowing in our life. Why? Because we're doing what we see the Father doing. When we look at Jesus, everywhere he, he went, he, he healed the sick, he, he set the captives free. We know that all who are oppressed by the devil and sick, that he healed them, the Bible says. But you know what he also said to his disciples at one point? He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. So can it be the blessing that we see flowing into Jesus' life, out of his life, into the lives around him, in his work, by the way, the victory in his work was a result of looking to what the Father was doing and being faithful to that in all that he did. And as a result of that, the blessing of God flowed in and through Christ to mankind. And I say that when we place God first and we keep that in right order, the blessing of God will flow in and through us as well. Come on now. It's important for us to, to, to uh, recognize what the word content means. The Vines uh, Expository Concordance says this, to be sufficient, to uh, possess sufficient strength, to be strong, to be enough for a thing, hence to defend or ward off. Now think about that. We talked about what the word Nike means, right? Victory is the word Nikeo, which is Nike. And so we talked about Nikeing, you know, in our life, that we're going to have victory in our life. That's why I said to Angie last night, I think I want to go to Dick's Sporting Goods and get one of those shirts that say victory on the front. It's like victory all the way across the chest, you know, and it's got the little Nike logo. Because Nike is victory, you know. And, and by the way, uh, they have... Um, uh, shirts and, and different things that say strength, right? Be strong, stuff like that. Watch this again. And here, here's this word in the vines, the, content, the word content. And it says, uh, possess sufficient strength. To possess sufficient strength. That when we have the, the life of Christ in us, we have the victory of God working in us. We have sufficient strength to be content even when everything around us seems to be falling apart. When those relationships we may have at work seem to be, you know, too difficult, we have sufficient strength in us to overcome that situation and be an example to that person of life. We're going to learn some things this morning that might serve us with regard to being content. So our big idea, write this down, our big idea today, the way to have victory in work is to learn to be content. The way to have victory in work is to learn to be content. That, that when those moments arise where it's like, I quit, I'm done. Now, it may need to be that, but make sure you got something you're moving on to. It's like, you know, you know if you're in the middle of the ocean and you're in a, in a tugboat that's got a hole and you got to, uh, you know, bail some water, you know, 
You're like, I'm just done bailing this water. I'm so done. And you dive in the ocean and your boat goes off and you don't have anything anymore. You know, that might not be the best way to, you know, to jump ship. You know, you get a big, you know, yacht coming through and you're in that bailing water. Man, I'd be giving everything I got. Arms waving, screaming, yelling, you know, let me on that yacht, right? Then get off that boat. I've seen people from time to time, they get so mad at what's going on. And, and, and that's, if you will, even believers who, who get in that place, they're so mad at what's going on at work, that what happens is, is they lose that battle because they don't recognize that Christ has given them sufficient strength to overcome that situation and be an example for others to follow them in that triumphal procession to praise God for how good he is to work in our hard situations. Come on now. You know, I was uh, talking to a fellow the other day. He was sharing about he worked in a bank. And while he worked in that bank, his boss was homosexual. He was very clearly Christian, you know, talked about the Lord, all those things. His boss was homosexual and just downright hated him. I mean, anything he could do, he, you know, all the hard jobs, all the bad jobs, it's like, hey, here, fix this, fix that. And it's like, you know, once in a while he'd chime up and say, well, can't one or the other, you know, employees do that? I'm always doing that. He goes, just do what I tell you to do. And so, you know, there's an element of, you know, questioning your boss, but, you know, you get to that point of where it can, can actually cause you to lose your job. Well, it caused him to lose his job at one point because it became so contentious that he knew his boss was just trying to get him out of there, and that's why it was always dropping that work on his desk. And finally, he's like, man, you know, he just kind of did whatever the boss told him to do. But when the time came, the boss gave him his pink slip, said, you know, you got three weeks, dot, dot, dot. He was angry. He said, man, I was livid that really, so I'm doing all this, you know, junk work. I have to do all these harder jobs, and then you're going to let me go in the midst of this because ultimately the boss couldn't make him crack, if you get what I'm saying. He stayed his course. He prayed every day. He's like, man, this is the worst thing I've ever had to do. And he would go home, and he would pray. He would vent, you know, a little bit, uh, but he would pray. And go back to work the next day and just keep plugging away. Once in a while, he'd stand up for himself a little bit. But the boss would be like, you just do what I tell you to do. And so he gets that pink slip. He goes home. He prays like, okay, God, I've really tried to be good. I'm just, tomorrow I'm going in. I'm going to really give him a piece of my mind. And he said, as I prayed and I began to read scripture, the Lord said, return kindness for evil. He read the scripture, return kindness for evil. And God said, I want you to do the same to him. And he's like, God, I'm a Christian. He's a homosexual. And blah, blah. He goes, and then, and then the Lord convicted him that, you know, you're judging him rather than witnessing to him. Come on now. <laughs> Tough position being a believer and under somebody that's a non-believer where there exist these very hard lines that cause a lot of friction. And you know what he does is he goes back to work. He goes to Starbucks, buys a $10 Starbucks card and a thank you card. He writes a note in there. I just want to thank you for the opportunity to have worked here. I learned a lot, dot, dot, dot. And what he did is he, he chose the things he could praise, not the things he could criticize. See, God gave him sufficient strength to overcome that situation, all right? He goes in, he gives this uh, card to his boss. He actually laid it on his desk. He wasn't in yet. His boss came in, he opened it up, he read it. And he said his boss came by. Just that day, just came by like five times. Hey, I just, again, I want to tell you thank you. Five times he said thank you. No one's ever been that kind when we've had to let him go. And I really hate that I have to let you go now. I just, you know. And so because of all the friction, 
that, that had taken place, he was the first one on the chopping block. And at the end of the matter, he showed forth the love of Christ in that situation. All the other employees saw that situation, knew what it was. And so he moved on, went on his way. And he planted a church, a restart church, a couple years ago. And now all the people he worked with in that bank are starting to come to the church one by one. He didn't ruin his witness through that situation. God gave him sufficient strength to overcome and to have victory in that situation. And because of that, now those people from that bank that he used to work with that saw that situation, now they're coming to Victory Church. And that's Pastor Kyle Rogers in Tampa, in uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. We're talking, he shared that. I said, I'm using that on Sunday because it goes really well with my message. <laughs> I know it's not easy sometimes. I worked under a guy one time in the military. <laughs> he is Sergeant uh, Suarez. And uh, it was a time when things were transitioning in the military to computers. And, and, and it was the, you know, the monochrome screens and that kind of Anybody remember those times? These young people are like, what's that? <laughs> And so uh, myself and this other young guy that worked in the office, we, we were all, we, we knew what we're doing, you know, enough to, to really take over all of that. Well, Sergeant Suarez didn't know anything about computers, wasn't good at typing, and so he was a pretty mean boss to work for. He was horrible, let me just put it that way. Cuss you, I mean, up one side, down the other. Uh, he would call me a stupid Christian. <laughs> You're a stupid Christian, one of those, you know, and I'm like, are you allowed to do that? He goes, I don't care, drop, give me 50, you know. I mean, it was just a horrible, horrible boss. We both hated this guy. And God began to work on me and convict me. But before that happened, we uh, played a prank on him, which I had to repent for. And that was we could reset the password because, you know, you could kind of, you know, backdoor and, and uh, set somebody up. So he would go in to log in, and it would keep kicking, and he couldn't get in. And he would just, like, throw a fit. I mean, he's throwing stuff in the office, and he'd go outside, and he'd be smoking a cigarette. We'd run over there, and we'll change the password back. We'd be at our desk. He'd come back in. He'd sit back down to the computer and go, okay. Type in it. Go in. What? 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 Why now? You know? He would just lose it. And then he would have to go somewhere, and we would change that password back to another password on him. He'd come in there, and he'd throw a fit. And, and I just, these stupid computers, and he picked it up one time to throw it. We're like, Sergeant, probably don't want to do that, you know? And uh, I remember I was talking to Tom Hendershot, and I was telling him about it. He goes, brother, do you feel like that's a good witness? Oh, it just, wow, man, it cut me to the quick, really quick, you know. And, uh, man, I, I had to repent. I went and told him what I had done. He was none too happy with me. But, but fortunately, because he was a prankster, uh, he appreciated a good prank, <laughs> And thank God it fell to that side because, you know, it could have been really bad. Um, but I had to get that right before me and God. And uh, we need to do those things in our workplace. We need to recognize that God has put sufficient strength in us through the victory that we have in Christ so that we can be a witness to those in our workplace. Amen. So in our big idea, the way to have victory in work is to learn to be content. I propose these two areas that we consider the opponents of contentment the opponents of contentment and second one the secrets of contentment and there are many challenges that we face in a given day when it comes to our work 
Everyone has ups and downs, and while we need to always better ourselves and develop our skills to be capable of earning a living, sometimes the situations and seasons we find ourselves in is not so easy. This is why, as we have been talking about the last two weeks, we need to Nike our situation. Remember that? Some of you don't rem- weren't here maybe for that, but we need to Nike. I do this because I want you to see Nike shoes, Nike shirts, wherever you are through the rest of this year, through the rest of your life. When you see the Nike logo, you're thinking about God's given me victory. I can live in the victory of Christ in every area of my life. I want you to think about those things. Now, I have today two $25 Nike cards to give out, but you all going to have to cheer up just a little bit so we can get this moving a little faster. You know what I'm saying? Don't make me ask for the amen. Just give it. <laughs> victory in our work, victory to overcome, triumph, conquer all those work challenges we may face. We need to be able to come up with a workable, witty, and sometimes downright motivating solutions when we are faced with what seems to be impossible and uncontrollable circumstances. Like a guy named George Phillips of Mississippi who was going to bed when his wife told him that he had left the lights on in his workshop. George was self-employed and had his own shop, and so George went out to turn off the lights but saw through the window that there were people in there in the process of stealing his tools. So work isn't, you know, work's hard enough, let alone you got people trying to take away from you. It may not be your tools, but maybe they're trying to take that new assignment or that promotion and, and the competition starts to seep in and, and all those things are playing in. So George sees people in his shop trying to steal his tools. He immediately phoned the police who asked, are they inside your house? George answered, no, they're out in my workshop. The officer replied that all the patrol cars were busy right now and that he should simply lock his door and a patrol car would be sent out when one was available. George said, okay, hung up, counted to 30, and phoned the police again. Hello, I called you a minute ago because there were burglars in my workshop. Well, you don't have to worry about them now because I shot every one of them. Then he hung up. (laughs) Within minutes, three squad cars, an armed response unit, and an ambulance showed up. Of course, the police caught the burglars red-handed. But one of the officers said to George, I thought you told me that you shot him. To which George replied, I thought you told me that all the squad cars were tied up. (laughs) Now all I'm saying is God gave you a brain. You're in situations at work, you're like, man, I am so sick of this. Instead of, you know, pursuing that conflict, instead of trying to, you know, take a a frontal assault on things, sometimes you just got to back up and you got to pray about, God, would you give me a witty, would you give me a way to work through this because I know that through Christ you give me strength to overcome this situation just that quick prayer maybe it's like you know I gotta take a bathroom break and you go to the bathroom and nobody's in there and you just you go to town you just start praying you know don't pray the prayers like God get them out of here get them fired whatever's got it you know but why because they have families in a life too and you're supposed to represent the kingdom of God and that is a representation of redemption of blessing of victory not just for us, but for those that we have contact with. Amen? Again, Philippians 4, 12 through 13 says, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. So, first, opponents of contentment. They're on your notes. The first opponent of contentment is unrealistic expectations. 
the first opponent, (laughs) man, I'm going to have a hard time with that, opponent of contentment is unrealistic expectation. Proverbs 10.28 says, the hope of the righteous will be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Man, you want to have your life aligned and in relationship with Christ Jesus. So that, because here's the thing, I don't care how good you do, unless it's the righteousness of Christ that is being poured out into your life, then all our right works, all our good works, all our, you know, righteous works are like filthy rags. They just don't measure up. So our connection with Christ in doing the things that we do that are a representation of the kingdom because we're reflecting who he is becomes the way that God brings gladness in our life. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything, prayer and supplication, and and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, what it's saying here is that, look, uh, you know, sometimes we can have an unrealistic expectation. We can get anxious about things that we expect in our life, but maybe if we take them to prayer, what God will do is begin to show us, okay, you have this expectation, but I would like to talk to you about this. I would like you to see this situation. I would like you to see this responsibility in your life. And if you take care of that, then all those other things are going to line up and come. But oftentimes we're going to be like the child that says, I want it, and I want it. I want it, and I want it. Now, do, you, do I really have to demonstrate this the way that it really goes in our life, right? You have kids. How many of you are raising kids or raised kids? How many of you have ever had that time they want something and you say no and they fall on the ground and kick and scream and squall and ball. Come on now, right? You ever do that with God? Of course we do. We all do that with God from time to time. Like We're like, God, you said in your word this, this, and this. The question is, do we first go, God, you said in your word that I need to this, this, and this. God, you said in your word that I need to acknowledge you in all my ways. question is, am I acknowledging you in, mo- in all my ways? Where it comes to work... Am I acknowledging you in all your ways? Am I acknowledging you where it comes to that person that wronged me? Can I forgive them? Forgive and you shall be forgiven. And so if I am living according to the word of God, I can expect this, that nothing that I ask him, that anything, let's do it this way, anything that I ask him shall be done if I ask according to his will. But if I'm not in alignment with his will, how can I expect that I'm asking according to his will concerning other matters or other people if I myself am not following God? I need to take care of me first so that then I can be a witness to others. Amen? Matthew 24 and 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So so in respect to this, what, what we're looking at here is that we understand that False expectations, if we have a right expectation, it's because we've drawn those expectations from the Word of God. This is what the Word of God says about my life. This is what the Word of God says that Christ is in and through me in this life. I can have victory. And as a result of that, then my prayers orient towards what God's Word says in my life. And as a result of that, I find that some of the expectations I have of other people and of myself tend to shift to where I'm seeing them a little different. Maybe the way Christ sees me. Maybe the way Christ sees others. Anybody harder on themselves than anybody ever could be? Right? Let me tell you this. If I mess up at something, Angie doesn't have to beat me down. You know why? Because she come in with the club. She'll come in there saying, you need a, you need a whipping, you know, or whatever it may be. 
And she'd come in there and be like, hey, give that to me. I'm better at it than you are. <laughs> right? I can beat myself better than anybody else ever could. And it's interesting. God gave me a wife that, that has a way of encouraging better than anybody I know or, you know, close to me. Angie is an encourager to me. Now, here's the thing. Can I be transparent this morning? I want you to know. Here's the thing. I know I talk about our marriage. How many of you are married in here? How many get along with your spouse all the time? Now, look, I get along with Ann. Angie and I get along phenomenal. And even though I use us as an example, um, it's, a lot of those things are in the past. Thank God he's worked us through them. But in that, um, one of the things for Angie and I has always been like me begging for an apology on something. Did you say, oh, me? Oh, me. That's what I heard her say. <laughs> see, see, because we're all white. Now, she'll encourage me. But when she does something wrong, it's, it's one of those things to where, you know, I'll be like, honey, you know, that, that. She, oh, fine. You want to beat on me? It's like, well, not really. I just, you know, can you apologize for it? You know, apology goes a long way. She goes, look, sis, so I'm not like you. You apologize a hundred times and not change. I know I got to change it. <laughs> yes, dear. <laughs> That's the way that one goes. But I'm, I'm talking, we're different. And the thing is, is somehow in the midst of that, I can't go to Angie and be like, my opinion, i got to go to the Word of God, and what's God's opinion? What's God's opinion about Angie? What's God's opinion about me? What's God's opinion about you? And what's God's opinion about the people you work with? Because your perspective at work, victory in work, starts to kind of take on a different look to it when you start saying, I don't like that person, but how does God look at them? And you might become the very person that brings about harmony and peace where there's a volatile person at work. You overcome, you Nike that situation. Victory in work, number two, a second opponent of contentment is unfair comparisons. Unfair comparisons. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Now, if you're going, that is a tongue twister, and I have no idea what that's really saying right now. You know, basically it's this. That if, if I look at me and say, well, I'm doing pretty good, compared to what? If I look at them and I compare myself to them and say, you know, well, I, I, I'm doing better than they are. They're doing better than me. What I do is I remove God from the situation because any time that you draw the line and you say, well, let's compare it all to God. Let's compare it all to Christ. And who he is, I place my hand over my mouth. Job said that when he began to question God. Job had a perspective on things. You know, God, I wish I was never born. He just starts like, just, you know, letting it all flow. And it's like telling God what he thinks and how it ought to be, be done and how things should happen. And God just has one statement to Job. That draws that line of comparison. Job, what you're doing right now is you're comparing yourself to yourself and everybody else you might have seen in life and things that they've gone through. So let's just draw the line right. Where were you when I gave the zebra its stripes? When I measured the heavens with the span of, you know, the universe with the span of my hand. Job, at that moment, Job's revelation is this right here. Ooh. I placed my hand over his mouth is what he said. He goes, I placed my hand over my mouth. Why? Because... All of a sudden, the comparison is to the right one. However we do life, it is so, so important 
to keep ourselves in the place of letting the word of God be our measure. Let God be the one that measures us. Don't measure yourself by anyone else. Now, I understand that you have evaluations at work and all those kind of things. But you know what? Just do the best you can. Submit those things to God and ask him to give you grace to work through, to, excuse me, become better at your job or give you an even better job, a, a job that you'll be better at. Does that make sense? I worked construction when I was in Ohio because when I was a little boy, uh, 14 years old, worked on a farm, worked construction, I was helping support my siblings. You know, my mom was a single mom, and so I worked for this contractor and for a farmer so that I could help support the family. And um, so the natural thing was for me, I got out of the military, all that stuff took place, and when I head back home, I just went back to the guy I worked construction for. Now, what was interesting is I had two kids, a third on the way, um, I want to make sure I get that right. Uh, she's so much better at remembering that stuff than me. Two kids, the third one on the way, and I'm working for this guy I worked for when I was 14 to 17 years old, and would you know he wanted to pay me the same pay and did pay me the same pay I did when I was that age? And so uh, he had, there was a job. He's like, man, if this job comes in early, you know, I can give you a bonus and a raise, dot, dot, dot. I worked night and day on that job, did I not? I worked times when I didn't get paid for the hours just to make sure that job came in early so I can get the raise. Do you know the job came in two months early? I ran the job, and, and, and he ended up with a new pickup truck. His brother ended up with a new pickup truck. They got a fifth-wheel camper, a new bobcat, and I didn't get a raise or a bonus. And we're scraping. I mean, we were, it was so tight. I mean, there was just hardly enough to support my family. And I, I'll never forget, that's one of those moments. I'm like, God, I... You know, and I can't keep doing this. And it's like the counsel of the Lord, he sees you as that kid that worked for him then. And that's not changed for him. And you need to take care of your family. And you know, when God gives you that peace, you know you can make a move. And so a couple phone calls and I ended up uh, in an apprenticeship and I ended up making uh, more than double what I was making. It was, I went from like uh, 850 an hour to 22 an hour. Um, working in this new job, which was enough to support my family. Thank God. But I'll never forget going up to him, and I want to let him know because we had had a relationship a long time, and I said, you know, I wanted to come to you and let you know that I've got to take a different job, dot, 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 and um, I just, I can't, I'm not making enough. And he goes, well, we can give you a raise now. And I'm like, well, I didn't figure you were able to do that. You know, I know that job came in early and kind of confronted the situation, but very carefully. He goes, yeah, well, you know, I know I told you we'd do that, but we couldn't do that. And I said, okay. I said, right here's the moment for me. I, I said, you know, I, I care about you and your family, and I've enjoyed working for you because of the friendship. But I have to support my family. And a new pickup, two new pickup trucks, <laughs> you know, a fifth wheel and a bobcat says you could have afforded to give me a $3, raise, $3 an hour raise. But now I'm being offered 22 so I got to go. I got to take that job. And so it was cordial, and to this day we're friends. There's, there's no issue. There's a right way to handle things, and I think God gives us that ability. But it, it, it's really looking to the Word of God to be your guide. Don't compare what others would do. Like people would tell me, I tell him, no, I'm not going to do that. Let me say this, never burn your bridges. You ever heard that? I've watched people in a moment, in a fit of anger or emotion, and just like, I'm out of here, I'm so done, dot, dot, dot. And then they can't find something, and guess what they're doing? You know, control your emotions. God has given you the ability. He's given you the ability to have victory 
in your emotions as well, and oftentimes emotion in the workplace can cause you to do things that aren't good. <clears throat> Philippians uh, two three do not or excuse me do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. When you when you honor others, you you put them in a higher place of esteem. I know that I I really you know using Angie. I went home the other day and she really let me have it for talking about the FSU stuff. Um, when she go you know if you weren't here you know Angie roots for Florida State University football. She goes kind of crazy on us, and, um, and all the kids have to jump in, you know. She's like, oh, you know, freaking out, like, get in here now, we got to win, you know. It's like, <laughs> you know. So I'm sharing all those things, but, but part of it is to understand, we all, we all in, you know, have lives that we're, we're working through. But, you know, in marriage, in friendship, you know, parents, children, the aspect of preferring one another and holding each other in high esteem, honoring one another, that when we, when we honor each other, that what happens, we get a whole lot more out of honor than we're ever going to get out of anger. Get a whole lot more out of honor than we're, when we're, than we're ever going to get out of dishonoring those that we're around. So find ways that you can honor the people you work with, amen? And make sure that the things that you're doing are not out of selfish ambition. And where it comes to the... Um, unfair comparisons Matthew 20 1 through 16 it's going to be on the screen because I couldn't fit it on your one page of notes today but for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius uh, a day he sent them into his vineyard and going out about the third hour he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and to them he said you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. <clears throat> Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. <clears throat> and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came and each received the denarius, now, uh, uh, so now when those uh, hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge me my generosity? So the last will be the first, and the first will be the last. Now, what God is talking about here is you take the Jews whom God chose, and they live according to the law, and you don't do what's right, you get stoned. I mean, that's some heat of the day. Come on, somebody. You know, that's some pretty hard work. They, they, you know, if it wasn't for the Jew, we wouldn't have salvation. For salvation, Jesus said, is of the Jew. So Jesus is using this to talk to the to the um, to the. Um, the, 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 the Pharisees and Sadducees, the keepers of the law, and, he, and, and he's using that as an example that those that are going to come in the last are going to come by grace, 
They're not going to come under the heat of the law. They're going to come under the work of Christ. They're going to have victory because of the work of another, not their own work. Come on now. Even though we're called to do good works, the reality is it's the work of Christ that gives us salvation. And he's paying us all the same thing. You get that? Now, Now let me say this. If that principle applies for our salvation and we're meant to be witnesses to mankind, then is it important that we would carry ourselves in such a way when we're at work that we do our jobs and we do it without grumbling? We do it without complaining? You know, it's one thing to bring constructive criticism. It's another thing to be critical. Come on now. All right, some of you might be having some hard times at work right now. I want you to know I'm not trying to be hard on you. (laughs) But it is important for us to live our witness everywhere we go. Amen? One of the interesting things about Paul is that you never find him comparing himself to others except that one time in Philippians. It's the only time you find Paul comparing himself to somebody else. And actually gets on the church when they're comparing, you know, comparing Apollos to Paul. And when they're starting to do those comparison things, Paul corrects them for it. Why? Because each of us are called, if you will, to hoe our own row in life with relationship to Christ. Amen. A third opponent of contentment is having an unthankful attitude. Having an unthankful attitude. 2 Timothy 3.2 says, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and unholy. Am I describing the day and age we live in, saints? This is very, very important as believers because of how much this exists in the world today. How many people are saved that exhibit a thankful spirit and a heart of gratitude so that there is that example, that there's the light in the midst of the darkness for people to come to? Psalm 717 says, I will thank the Lord because he is just. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. 2 Corinthians 2.14, this is our uh, one of our key scriptures through this series, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and, and through us spreads the fragrance of his knowledge, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere that basically at that witness. And I can think of no greater place. How many of you would raise your hand and say you spend about as much time at work as you do with family and other things you do in life? Who, who does 40 hours a week? Raise your hand if you do 40 hours a week. 50 hours a week. Keep your hand up. Raise them high. Come on. We got some folks that need some jobs in here. Father, in Jesus' name. <laughs> Y'all understand what I'm saying. You spend as much time at work as you do with your family and friends and all those other things you do in life. So, so you got to see that, that at that point, your witness in that is, is just as important as it is to home. Why? Because if you bring the, the kingdom where you go, this is what's interesting too. When I was in the military, uh, stationed in Germany, I will never, we were the worst unit. Delta Company of uh, 10th Engineers in Germany, we were the worst unit in the brigade. We had a Satanist in that, in that uh, unit. When I say Satanist, I don't mean just a little bit. This guy had a room all to himself because no one wanted a room with him. He, he had pentagrams and, and all those things, and he was a devil worshiper. My first encounter was walking up to a quarters control desk where when you come in, you've got your orders, you show up at the unit, you hand your orders to the quarters control. Am I nailing it here? Yeah. And you sign in to the unit. I'm doing that. This guy's standing at the end of the desk, and he goes, you're a Christian, aren't you? I'm like, 
yeah. And I'd only been saved about three, two, three months at that time. And I'm like, yeah. And he just turns around and walks off. And I'm like, I look at the guy and I went, that was kind of weird. He goes, he is weird. <laughs> and I didn't know who he was. Worst unit in the brigade. And I'll never forget, within a few weeks, this guy is taunting me. We're in a map training course, or map training class. I'm training, uh, and he's supposed to be assisting, and there's, there's troops in there, and we're doing this map training. And he's standing behind me about three feet away, and he's whispering, I'm going to convert you. I'm going to convert you. I'm going to convert you over and over and over again. I'm just trying to ignore him. By then I knew, because people had told me, yeah, he's a devil worshiper, Satanist. And I remember I'm just like sitting there, I'm doing this training, he keeps whispering it, and I'm just like, and something inside me began, to, the, the, the strength to overcome, the sufficient strength to overcome that situation. The guys are kind of giggling, because he's messing with me. They're not Christians. And I will never forget, I'm sitting there, and it's just that whole thing, and I define it like bubbling up inside of me, almost like a righteous indignation. And I will never forget wheeling around on that guy. I just went, sit down and shut up in the name of Jesus. Now, that, that can seem very weird in the workplace. Come on now. But a Satanist behind you whispering, I'm going to convert you. <laughs> yeah. Right? And those guys are like, <laughs> and when I did that, this guy was sitting there. Was chairs behind him, about two feet behind him. He just went. And I, I'm telling you, the atmosphere in that room, it was like angels just went and set him in that seat. He just plopped down and sat there like a little kid. Just looking at the floor. Wouldn't even look up. The guys around the map table are like. One of them, one of them gets the courage to go, hey, could, could, I, could I take a bathroom break? I'm like, yeah, go ahead. He goes out, and the other three are there, and they're kind of looking across at each other. Can, sorry, can we just all, like, take a break? Is that all right? I'm like, yeah, sure, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, because that was pretty stinking weird, man. <laughs> and look, I'm not, I'm not striving to be a weird Christian, but let me tell you, in moments like that, stand up for yourself in Christ. You never know when God's going to show up. And here's the deal. I began to lead my fellow soldiers to Christ. I led 67 people to Christ in the first five months, four and a half months that I was in Germany. But the first thing that had to be done is I had to take the high ground. The spiritual atmosphere had to be seized. That unit was the worst unit. It had the most DUIs, the most domestic violence, the most divorce, and it, and it did the poorest in its, in its training and its accomplishment of mission. And I get placed there. Well, let me tell you, when Joseph was brought to Egypt, it was for a reason. When Moses was drawn from the Nile, it was for, for a reason. When God sent his son to this earth, it was for a reason. When God called you, it was for a reason. And in that moment, I began to understand more and more that God had called me for a reason. And I will never forget, within a couple weeks, this guy is caught with a pound of hash. And he ends up going to uh, Mannheim, which is the, where the military prison is in Germany. And... And he's, he's on quarters control. And you see, he's got to stay in the quarters. He can't go out and do anything. And who do you think they said, you need to keep an eye on him and watch him? That's, that's your responsibility. Anybody? You. 
I got that job. I'm like, why me? And, and the first sergeant was a believer. He goes, because you can deal with him. I've heard you can deal with him. I'm like, top, I don't want to spend my time doing that. So anyway, this guy comes to my room one night. He's like, can I talk to you? And I'm like, all right. He comes in my room. He sits down. We're talking. He's, man, I thought my God had power until that day. Now here I am. I mean, I've been here. I've, I've, I re-enlisted and re-upped for Germany. I've been here six years. Now I'm going to prison. I've been doing all this stuff as long as I've been here. I believe it's because you're here. He was raised in a Pentecostal church growing up. The stuff that I had to pack up when he went to prison to send home to his mama would have probably given her a coronary, put her in the hospital. Who knows? So instead of doing that, I packed it up. I sent her his uniforms and all that. Delta Company became the number one company in the brigade, and I was the leader of the number one squad in that brigade for two years running. We used to go to Birch's Garden and Holtzberg and ski, and they'd give us four-day weekends. Why? Because you get number one, and that's what you get to do. The blessings of God just start flowing, right? My commander, through all of that, came to me. He said, you know, I don't know that I've ever been around, because he was a believer. I don't know that I've ever been around somebody that lived their faith so genuinely um, without trying to manipulate or force others, but yet with such effectiveness. I was like, thanks, sir. He goes, so I want you to be my, you know, right-hand guy, and you're going to come work for me. Sweet. What happened to Joseph? Great. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. So I, I, say, I share that testimony just to say this. That's part of that procession, that triumphal procession that's meant to leave a fragrance where you go. People see, they recognize, they smell something just a little bit different about you than everyone else that's there. Let that be the case. Amen? All right. Let me get the moving here. I'm sorry I'm taking so long this morning. Number four, the fourth opponent of commit, uh, excuse me, contentment is uncontrolled ambition. Uncontrolled ambition. I have to admit that sometimes I can have that and I have to subject that. When my wife says that's enough, it's got to be enough. Amen? James 3.16, for where envy, envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. In Luke 12, Jesus tells us about the rich farmer who had a bountiful harvest uh, more than ever before. And here's what it says. Luke 12, 18 through 20, it says this. So he said, I will do this. I will pull, my, uh, pull down my barns and build gr- a greater. And there I will store all my crops and goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many, many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have uh, uh, provided? They're going to be somebody else's. Here's what God's saying to him. Look, don't lay up in earth treasures, but store up in heaven treasures. Put your treasure in heaven. Where where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart can't just be about you. Your heart's got to be about the kingdom of God, which is why you are here today today is why you will be in heaven. This is why you will live for all eternity is because of what Christ, what God gave to us. So make sure you're a part as he gives you the power to get wealth to establish his covenant to others. Amen. Hebrews uh, 13, 5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he, uh, he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What God is saying there is simply this. Look, 
you don't have to depend upon what you have because I'm the one that has it all. It all belongs to me anyway. So as you partner with me, you're partnering with the right one because I have a supply that's never ending. And he will, he will perform miracles in your life that you could never even dream of doing yourself. The Bible doesn't condemn ambition. It encourages us to be ambitious, to strive for excellence. But when ambition is uncontrolled or when it simply uh, fuels our ego, it's not good. Can you say amen to that? Look, it's good to get ahead, but if, if getting ahead means your children, your relationship with your children, your relationship with your wife, your relationship with God, you might want to take some inventory on what, what you should shave off. One time I was called by a friend to go to California and to be a part of a, a, a roundtable, a, a group that was going to meet and talk about some, some better ways to approach to reaching young people, and, um, which is something I really enjoy doing and it's something I feel like I could like take some pride in you know it, it starts to kick in there even it's like for the right calls right I'm doing this for the right reasons now really a little bit of pride can kick in there and, he, and here's how I know that that's what was at work ego was at work all those things were at work because I had just come back from a missions trip 30 days on a missions trip in Mexico yeah maybe two weeks can't remember exactly anyway just came back from a mission trip, get the phone call. I'm standing in the house with my wife watching me answer this call, talk to this guy, California win, and she's like, and I'm like, so okay, that, that would be, all right, um, and I look over at her, and she's like, I'm like, so what are they doing? He's, and he's telling me like, yeah, man, we really need you. We need your voice at this meeting. They need my voice. Oh. They need the wisdom that I have to offer. Hmm, music to my ears as Angie is like. You're going to kill me? No, stop it. Yeah. And it went back and forth a little bit, and I'm like, hey, ho hold on one second, all right? Babe, look, they really, really need me out there. No. Like, baby, come on, you got to, this is my job. No. You're being unreasonable. This is my work. This is how I take care of us. She goes, no, it's not. You know, you pastor at this church here. That's how you take care of us. I'm like, this is part of that. She goes, no, you're not going. I'm like, hey, man, I'll be there, all right? Oh. Yeah, that's right. No, don't you act so righteous. You know you've done stuff like that. <laughs> Here's the deal. I board the plane. I'm heading out. <laughs> I get there. We do the first day of meetings. I get to my room that night. I call her up. I'm like, hey, babe, I'm here, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm safe and everything. Okay. I'm like, so what are you up to? Not much. So um, how are the kids? Fine. <laughs> You're being kind of short. She goes, so? I'm like, <laughs> you know, I need to do my job out here, so I, I really don't need tension between us. While the, Well, you should have considered that before you went. <laughs> babe please you know can you just like you know no do you need anything no I don't guess so okay well I gotta go alright I go over I sit down on my bed in the hotel room I'm like Lord I think I made a big mistake and while I like these guys I like my wife a lot more <laughs> so I'm out of here Next morning, I had breakfast with this guy. I said, hey, 
Here's the deal. I made a dumb decision coming out here. Well, man, you're here. No, no, you don't understand. This is the moment where I make clear what's most important to me. So I have to, I need to fly back. Because she, she wasn't okay with it. I did it anyway, and I shouldn't have. And I'm going to do the right thing, as I understand. He goes, man, I just wish you, I said, I understand. But you know what? You can never take first place in my life. My wife, God first, my wife, family, you know. So I get on a plane. Now here's what I call her. Call her up, and you click along, man. We're right there at 12. Um, I call her up, and I say, hey, listen, I need a phone number of one of my colleagues. It's, it's in my book at home in my desk. Can you go there and get it? She's like, oh, really? I'm like, I need it really, really bad. Now, I'm already home, folks. I said, I really need it bad. So, fine. So she's driving home. I know about 20 minutes she's going to be home because we were on the south end before we built this building. She, she, she comes in the house. I had parked around the corner, and, and I, you know, I had, rose pet, I had rose petals going all the way back to the house, you know, and, and, and uh, I'm just kind of kicked back on the bed. Now, look, I'm fully clothed, so don't let anybody, you know. I know this isn't about me at that moment. You know, this is about her, right? And so uh, I'm kicked back on the bed, just leaned up on the pillow. She's fall, and she comes into the bedroom. She's like, that stupid cat. What's that cat been into now? <laughs> she goes over to the desk. She walks over to the desk, and she's opening the drawer. And it's like, I know she's thinking, like, where would that cat have gotten roses from? And she pulls that drawer and, like, turns over, and I'm laying. And she goes, Wah! she just bawls. <laughs> Sorry, baby. She just balls. And I mean, she's sobbing. I'm not expecting this at all. Like, I'm thinking she's going to be happy, and instead she's crying. And, then we're, you know, there are t- tears of joy, but there was also some sorrow involved in that. Like, the feeling of other things are more important than her. See, to have victory in life, we need to have right priorities, don't we? And all I know is at that moment, she says to me, I go, why are you crying? She goes, because I know I'm more important than anything else. And she goes, you can do whatever you want to do because I know I'm more important. And so I didn't get back on a plane and fly back out there, but, you know. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, to, to illustrate the importance, if you will, of, of uh, not having uncontrolled ambition, I want to read this short uh, story from Time Magazine. It says, Time Magazine reported that a mugger held up a woman at gunpoint and demanded her money. But when she only had $12.50 in her purse, he became very angry. His ambition was that he was going to have a little bit more than $12.50. So he demanded that she write him a check. And the next day when he cashed it, they arrested him. (laughs) Be careful where you let your ambition drive you, you know. And the $12.50 is better than going to prison. Come on now. So, So now let's talk about the secrets of contentment. First, the first secret of contentment is to have an attitude of gratitude. All the way through Philippians, Paul talks about attitude, and he is saying if you have an attitude that causes you to be grateful for everything God has given you, you'll find contentment. Be grateful no matter what situation you find yourself in. An illustration is Alistair uh, McLean quotes a story of Tuller, the German mystic, um, one day, Toller met a beggar. God give you a good day, my friend, he said. The beggar answered, I thank God I never had a bad one. Then Toller said, 
God give you a happy life, my friend. I thank God, said the beggar. I've never had an unhappy one. Taller asked, what do you mean? Well, said the beggar, if it's, if, uh, it's fine, I thank God. If it rains, I thank God. I thank God when I have plenty. I thank God when I'm hungry. I thank God. And since God's will is my will, whatever pleases him pleases me. Why should I say I'm unhappy when I am not? Toller looked at the man in astonishment. Who are you, he asked. He said, I am a king. And he goes, he uh, said the beggar, he says, where's your kingdom, asked Toller. And, and the beggar looked at him and quietly answered, in my heart. In my heart. I'm telling you, situations at work, situations at home, wherever we're at, they can so get us to step down off the throne that God, he has given us the ability to rule our own heart. You remember the passage that said, God says to Cain, sin is at the door and its desire is for you, but I would have you rule over it. Every single one of us have that choice every single day. That sin is at the door, it's knocking, its desire is for you. You know, go this way, go that way, but I would have you rule over it. And the way God calls us to rule over it is just like this beggar is to see things the way God sees them. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Because he trusts in you. If our trust is in God, then we don't have to get all worked up about everything going on around us. Number two, the second secret of contentment is seek to please Jesus and quit worrying about pleasing people. I promise you, if your life is dedicated to please Jesus, you'll please the right people. <laughs> You'll please the right people. Matthew 6, says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. Everything else will come into alignment. That doesn't mean everybody will like you, but you certainly will be liked by the people that you need to be liked by. You know, they hated him. The world hated, as the world hated Jesus, they'll hate you. Don't worry about those. Just seek to please Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4 says, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Do you know that we're witnessing, being that witness to others and living our life out in that victory, that what happens is, is in that moment, what we're doing is we're returning our praise to God through that situation. But make no mistake about it, our heart is being tested of whether we'll be that witness to those around us. The third Love people and show your concern for them. Love people and show your concern for them. You know, Philippians 4.10 says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did, did care, but you lacked opportunity. Let me say, we run a daycare here. We have some of the girls maybe here at church today, but they watch kids all day. Anybody watch kids all day? Buddy, I'm going to tell you, I don't care what job you got, that is a hard job. And there's a lot that can happen in that. But we have a zero drama policy. Say zero. zero. Drama. drama. And what that means is, can't we all just get along? But from time to time, situations arise where that's challenged. And in that, the thing we try to foster is, is like, you know, look, can you have love and concern for your fellow worker? We're going to encourage them to do the same, but our zero drama policy says whatever happens, you all are going to prefer 
the other above yourself. Why? It's a Christian daycare, and we're going to exhibit Christian principles. And when you took the job, you read through those things, and you understand that responsibility. Now, um, that doesn't mean it all just goes all smooth and, and easy all the time. It doesn't even go all smooth and easy in, in the church offices, if you will. It doesn't go smooth and easy at your workplace. It doesn't go smooth and easy for you stay-at-home moms who are working your jobs, right? But how we approach that makes all the difference in the world. If we approach people with love and concern, man, I'm telling you as they say, you're going to you know, catch more flies with sugar than you are with vinegar, right? You're going to get more accomplished by, with a sweetness of the kingdom than you are with a judgmentalism of the law, which we're no longer to walk in. So, if you will, every day is an opportunity for us to witness and, and show our Christ-likeness. Every day is that opportunity to live in victory, receive through um, what, what Christ provided. Now, at that, um, I want to give this card out this morning. What's your name? What's your name? Nate? Nathan? Oh, man, I guess I'm not a good passer. Nathan, Nike the world. <clears throat> and I'm going to come over here. <laughs> and I'm going to give this to you. Because as I was preaching, there's your card. I, and I want to say something to you. As I was preaching, there's really, since the Lord said that there's some really challenging things that you're trying to overcome right now, things that you've been through, and, and to really see the victory of God in the midst of those hard situations. And he wants you to know that victory is on its way. They're, they're even in the midst of the, my preaching today, I can see some shifts taking place spiritually for you. And you know that. You sensed it yourself. You, you felt it go right into your spirit that God's affirming to you, son, it may be this way now, but it's not always going to be that way. And he's going to see you through this difficult time. Amen? <laughs> You're welcome. Right now, about 10 of you are going, man, I'd like to have one of those words. <laughs> Just so you know, I'm not in control of that. Um, but I really felt the Lord speak in the midst of the message for that. I want to leave you with this final illustration. That victory, really, true victory, victory in Christ, leaves us with a peace in the midst of any situation we may find ourselves. We might feel the, the tug to walk away from that peace that we have in Christ. But the victory that we have in Christ stays us where we are. We know that we can stand firm because God is for us and he's not against us. Listen to this. There once was a king who offered a prize to the artist who would paint the best picture of peace. Many artists tried. The king looked at all the pictures, but there were only two he really liked. And he had to choose between them. One picture was of a calm lake. The lake was a perfect mirror for the peaceful towering mountains all around it. Overhead was a blue sky with fluffy clouds. All who saw this picture thought that it was the perfect picture of peace. The other picture had mountains too, but these were rugged and bare. Above was an angry sky from which rain fell and in which lightning played. Down the side of the mountain tumbled a foaming, water, a foaming waterfall. This did not look peaceful at all. 
But when the king looked closely at the waterfall, he saw behind it a tiny bush growing in the crack of a rock. In the, in the, the bush, a mother bird had built her nest. There in the midst of the rush of the angry waters sat the mother bird on her nest in perfect peace. Which picture do you think won the prize? The king chose the second picture. Why? Because the peace that Christ offers us, as we've discovered in this series, doesn't free us from the troubles we have in this life. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Be of a people of peace. I have Nike'd. I have overcome the world. And so for us, we really need to see that Christ didn't come so that everything would just be all perfect and pristine. Christ came in the midst of a fallen world, and what he did is he provided a nest. And if you will, we're the ones, and watch, we are being transformed, the Bible says, into the very likeness and image of God's own son, Jesus Christ. That every time we pick up the Bible, every time we sing praise, every time we bend our knee to prayer, every time we meditate upon the word of God, every time we interact with the fellowship of the brethren, we are growing into the disciples we're meant to be, and we are becoming just a little bit more like Jesus each and every time we do those things. That's what God came. And if you will, Jesus is the one that nests over us. And when we know it's him that we can look to, we can be at perfect peace no matter what the storm is going on around us, no matter how hard the situation seems. And work can definitely be one of those places that causes a lot of turbulence. I've counseled too many people where things are, are, are bad at work and those things come home for the family. It, it, it can create such difficulty in our lives that it becomes a vital part of living this life of victory to see that Christ gives you victory in your work as well. He's given you sufficient strength to overcome your situations in work, at work if you'll look to him for his guidance. Amen? Stand to your feet if you would. Look, I know many of you may be dealing with situations at work, and so because of that, I just want you to, you know, lift your hands to heaven this morning. You need a miracle of God in your workplace. You need a new job. You don't have a job. You need a job, whatever that may be. We want, and I believe this, God makes you the head and not the tail, and so you're meant to have gainful employment. And, and in having that gainful employment, for it to be a, a vital part of your life, and God would want it to be blessed. So today, Father, I lift your people to you. All of us, God, we submit ourselves to your word, the guidance of your word, Father. And Father, our work would not just be something we go to, but our work would be that place that the kingdom can come to through us. So Father, I lift those families that are in need of, of new employment, that, Lord, you would open doors that no man can shut. And that, God, they would be able to walk through those doors into those new jobs and provide for their families. Those that have current jobs, Lord, that are turbulent and just, just a constant conflict, Lord, I pray that you would give them the witty ideas. Father, that you'd make them like George, who, Father, the police are all busy, but, you know, next thing you know, they're there. Father, you would give them that ability to, uh, to figure that out so that they can actually be the leader in that workplace of bringing, Father, peace and harmony and productivity. God, I pray for all of our families that, Lord, they would be blessed. 
that they would be blessed and father that they would understand that their blessing has greater purpose than just themselves but father it has the purpose of establishing your covenant in the lives of others lord let us be witnesses say that with me father let us be a witness of your love of your mercy of your grace of your goodness and your blessing and your excellence in our jobs in jesus name amen amen you have a great week